right, well, good morning, guys. How are you guys today? Woo, woo, like 10 of you, but that's all right. <laughs> we'll keep going. My name is Dwight. I, uh, I'm the family of kids guy here at uh, Air Lights, and I'm glad that you guys are here, but I'll, I'll tell you this. If you're here for um, Designer Sex Part 2, that's not that sermon. <laughs> um, so uh, if, if you're a little bummed out, that's okay. But this morning, we're going to talk about something equally as, uh, as intimate. We're going to talk about prayer. Um, so let's stop. Let's just open up in prayer, and then we'll talk about prayer. Father, we just invite you now in this space. Lord, open our eyes and our ears, Lord, to hear from you this morning. So Holy Spirit, come. Rest upon us. Let us hear you in a new way this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I honestly like to pray. Um, but that, that wasn't always the case. When I was in Bible college, I, uh, my freshman year, I had these two guys, uh, Naaman and Elaine. They were, they were basketball players, and I guess we kind of got together because we all played basketball together. Um, but they took me under their wings, and they said, you know what, Dwight? You're going to come, and you're going to hang out in, uh, in our dorm room. So I moved out of my dorm room and literally slept on the floor in, uh, in their room for, for the next eight months. Um, but the cool thing about it is, like, those guys were... Like, they were prayer warriors. They were just straight-up Gs when it came to prayer. Do you guys know what that? It's okay. Thank you, Nick. Um, So, you know, what? Every night in their room, what we would do, um, what they, first of all, forced me to do, and then I got to love it, is every night they'd put on worship music. And they're like, okay, now we're just going to pray. I'm like, what do you mean we're just going to pray? They're like, we're going to pray to the end of the CD. I'm like, dude, worship CDs are long. They're like, yeah, we're just, we're just going to pray. And so it took, like, honestly, it took me probably about the first couple months to where I actually look forward to going, you know, coming to our 8 o'clock times to pray. And out of those times, like, it developed this great, just a desire to want to know him better, a desire just to want to be in this presence. Because through those, you know, hour and a half, hour and 15, all we did was, like, we're just going after God's face. That's it. You know, we weren't praying that God would give us better jump shots or God would give us, you know, a better three-point shot. No, we were just praying, God, we just want to know you and know you better. And I came to love those times because I came to understand. For those of us who've put our hope and our faith in Christ, those of us walking in step with the Spirit, prayer is our natural response. It's the natural response to a Spirit-led life. You see, it is the breath of a child of God, just as breathing is a natural response from a child from birth, so too prayer is the natural response for those of us who've been born of God. Yet for for many Christians, and for many of us, the extent of our prayer life is simply at the dinner table. Good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. And the reality is the, the devil loves those kind of prayers it's because they go, they go nowhere. If you just come to God with good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. Satan's just sitting there saying, go ahead, do it again. Because you haven't communed with the Father. If we want to be powerful, if we want to be effective, and we want to see something powerful happens, friends, it comes through prayer. Because prayer is, first of all, it's worship. It's an act of worship, an expression of adoration of God, and thanking him for who he is. Uh, Tim Keller, he says this in, in talking about worship. He says, worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in such a way that it energizes and engages every aspect of our beings, mind, will, and emotion. 
So worship is to see what God is worth and give him what he is worth, to grasp his worth in such a way and start living in accordance with it. And see, friends, this is the very attitude in which we need to approach our prayer lives. Because once we understand what God is worth, once we understand his true value, then we come to him with more than good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. We come to him with a deep desire to know him, a desire to want to just be close to him. Before Naaman and Lane kind of took me in their wings and, and just birthed this desire of prayer in me, honestly, I used to think that prayer accomplished nothing, that I'm just praying in vain and my words are just going up and, and nothing's happening. Like, anybody struggle with that, you know, now and then? Just one or two of you guys. And I'll tell you, look, the struggle is real. Because it's hard to stay motivated if you think your prayers are in vain. And see, and that's the problem James in his epistle wrestles with. If you've got your Bible, you can turn over to James chapter 5. Uh, it's page 849 in your house Bible. So in James, writing to, to a bunch of believers, he says this. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone among you happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And this is the word of God. I want you to notice the theme that runs through this passage. You know, verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and let them what? Pray. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Verse 17, and then comes the heart of this message that, uh, that James is talking about when he says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And he reminds us that Elijah was a dude just like we are. In verse 18, again he prayed. Every verse, friends, has at least one reference to prayer. James is talking to a community of believers and he's saying, look, we need to pray. Because the life of a community of believers, it needs to revolve around prayer. In Isaiah 56, uh, verse 7, God said to his people, For my house is to be called a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus quoted the, this verse when he cleansed the temple. You see, he confronted the spiritual leaders for making God's house a den of robbers, something other than a house of prayer. And today, you know, there probably you know, one or two, a few churches that are in danger of making God's house a house of entertainment. You see, if we call it church and nobody prays, there's something wrong with that. As a community of believers, we need to gather together. We need to pray. 
The early church, that church was a house of prayer. You see, it was birthed in prayer. It operated by the power of prayer. When the government opposed them, they didn't get together and sign a petition. No, they prayed. You know, Acts 4.31 tells us that when they prayed, the place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke words with boldness. You see, in, in, in writing to his people, James, he understood the importance of prayer. But he also understood the enemy's strategy to stop prayer. So friends, hear this and hear this well. The devil doesn't want you to pray. Okay? And he will do everything he can to stop God's house from being a house of prayer, even if it means allowing it to become a successful house of entertainment. And so James states emphatically, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective because prayer matters. Prayer makes a difference. And so why James makes the statements is because he understands Satan's strategies. He's not ignorant to the devil's devices. He knows what kind of things Satan will say to you and to me to keep us from praying. See, I opened with this question. Have you ever felt like your prayers were accomplishing nothing? Have you ever thought that your prayers were a waste of time? So ask yourself this, where do these thoughts come from? I guarantee you they're not, they're not God's thoughts. They're the enemy's thoughts. Because God, when we read through scripture, we already know what God says. God says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Prayer matters. But then some of you might say, yeah, but it says, Dwight, it says a righteous person, and that's not me. See, if you understood righteousness through the lens of scripture, then you'd understand that the righteous person that James is talking about is you. It is me. In uh, Isaiah 64, it tells us that all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So you see, it can't be referring to a self-righteousness. The Pharisees, they were, well, they were very righteous in their own eyes, but their works did not qualify them as righteous in God's eyes. In Romans 4, Paul, he taught us to become righteous. We become righteous by putting our trust in Jesus. And then he ends his, this, whole little state, this whole little segment with this statement. Uh, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. To be justified, friends, means to be made right with God or to be made righteous in Christ. And so we understand when James is saying this, he's, he's talking to those of us who are already in the boat, those of us who've already put our hope and our faith in Christ, those of us who are walking in step with the Spirit. He's talking to Christians, to me, to you. See, being transformed by the grace of God, we begin to bear the fruit of righteousness, the righteousness God gave you in Christ. It's not just theoretical. No, it's a righteousness that changes your entire course of life. It changes the very way in which you behave. That's why when uh, John writes in 1 John 3, he says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. And in verse 9, he says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. Now, let's be clear about this. This verse is not saying that Christians never sin. I think we've all lived long enough to know that Christians, you know, fall once or twice. What this verse is saying is that we cannot make sin a way of life. The true child of God cannot, cannot and should not habitually live in sin. Even David understood this. You know, 
And so he writes in Psalm 66, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my prayers. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayers or withheld his love from me. Friends, I want to suggest a righteous person is simply someone who's been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, someone who's been born again, and someone who is sincerely, although imperfectly, trying to follow the Lord. If, I, if you desire to be effective, to have an effective prayer life, you must first be righteous, relentlessly pursuing the face of God. Because effective prayer changes your character. It changes my character. I no longer desire to do the things I used to do. What I like about this little verse um, is that you can personalize, personalize it in a way that makes sense. And we'll talk about this in a minute. Okay. See, because when the devil tells you that you're not righteous, don't point to, to all the good deeds that you did. Don't be like, yeah, I just yesterday I walked an old lady across the street. No one cares. Point him instead to the soul-saving soul soul, soul blood of Jesus. Okay, Don't allow the devil to talk you out of the comfort and assurance of our text, which is the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, there's another way the devil will try to talk to you, though. He'll say, yeah, your prayers may be powerful and effective, but you're not sincere enough. You're not passionate enough. You don't put enough into it. Anybody heard that one from Satan once or twice? Yeah. See, to counter these words, we need to know exactly what James is talking about here. The two English words, powerful and effective, um, are a translation of one Greek word, inajogomen. That's not how you say it, but I tried. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But grammatically, the word is either in the passive or the middle voice. See, it's impossible to know which because they both have the same construction in Greek. If the participle is in the passive voice, it means prayer that is energized by the Spirit. If it's in the middle voice, it means prayer that is powerful in its working and in its operation. Either way, it doesn't mean the heart aloud or faster you pray, your prayers are likely to be answered. So here, let me bring a little clarity to this. It all comes down to this simple, simple statement of truth. Your prayers are effective Because the Holy Spirit's working makes them powerful. You trust that? You believe that? Okay. See, you'll be encouraged to pray if you understand this. It's not about how loud, how long, how perfectly you pray. It's simply the operation of the Holy Spirit in those prayers that make them powerful and effective. So let me say this again. Your prayers are effective because the Holy Spirit's working makes them powerful. So the great qualifier for effective prayers are the blood of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit. So again, if you're here this morning and you've put your faith and your hope in Jesus, you're walking a life surrendered to the Spirit, you qualify. When you pray, your prayers are already powerful. They're already effective. And so the devil may still try to come at you and still try to discourage you. And so and this is where, for me, I personalize this. I personalize this text. And you know what? I put my name in there and I say, you know what? The Holy Spirit and power prayers of Dwight Stephen are powerful and effective. My prayers matter because the Holy Spirit makes them matter. Friends, the only way that we are going to, you know, counter the devil's devices, personalize it. Put your name in this piece of scripture. See, because it's not just a word for super saints. It's a word for you. It's a word for me. 
Now, in order to, to make us understand the effectiveness of prayer, uh, James gives us an illustration from Kings, uh, 1 Kings 17 through 19, just kind of straight out of the life of Elijah. Now, maybe you guys remember the story. Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they ruled over Judah. And God's people, they were in this terribly backslidden state. Jezebel had led them into the worship of Baal and all its debauchery and idolatry. And, you know, Elijah felt alone in his stand for God. And maybe there's some of you here feeling like that today. Maybe some of you in this little corner. Like you're the only one. You look around and your friends are just loving up the debauch. They're just loving up the idolatry. And you're like, is there nobody else who will stand for God with me? And see, and your role in this is you just need to remain faithful. Because through you... Through you and your consistent commitment to praying for your friends and their souls and their salvations, God will bring about that breakthrough. But you have to commit yourself to that. See, God had promised that when his people got into sin like this, he would discipline them and bring them back to him. So Elijah prayed about the situation, and God gave him direction. I want you guys to check that. Elijah prayed. God gave the direction. See, in 1 Kings, God told him, told him, go to King Ahab and pronounce the judgment. And so he goes to the king and says, ask the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next years except at my word. And we know from James that this drought lasted three and a half years. And so I want to notice a few things about, you know, the, Elijah's prayer and, and just how that worked. Like he, he persevered in prayer. Like, he put work into it. He saw the situation. He saw the idolatry. He saw the debauchery around him. And he persevered and said, Lord, I'm not going to stop until you bring about that breakthrough. You know, it sometimes takes a crisis of faith to teach us that God is not impressed with long, many fancy words. What simply matters is the heart. A heart focused on him. A desire to see God move. A desire to see him do something. Because fervent prayers prayers move God to action. Because they come from a place of persistent faith in the face of desperate circumstances. See, Elijah was persistent. Not once. Not twice. Not three or four or five or six. But seven times he prayed. And on that seventh time, God brought about the breakthrough. You see, for some of us, we pray once and we say, God, I want you to do, I want you to bring my husband to church. I want you to, you know, allow my wife to know you. I want my kids not to be lost. You pray that prayer once and then God doesn't answer and so you stop. And you wonder, why is God not listening? Let me suggest this to you. Maybe God wants you to press in a little bit. God wants you to press through a lot and allow him to bring the breakthrough. Because the, when we do this, when we pray and God doesn't answer one time, when we pray and he, he holds back his answer a second time, maybe even a third time, what he is doing in that moment, he's developing a life of faith in us. He's saying, do you trust me to bring about that breakthrough? Are you going to press in? Are you going to press through? That's what Elijah did. Seven times he prayed, and God brought about the breakthrough. And so faith, friends, prayer changes things. It changes us. It changes our character. It develops a deeper level of faith in us. But there needs to be this fervency. There needs to be this fire. There needs to be this hunger in our prayers. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, uh, I love this. He once said, he who prays without fervency does not pray at all. 
You cannot commune with God who is a consuming fire if there is no fire in your prayers. So if you're coming to God with good food, good meat, good God, let's eat. Where's the fire? But if you're coming to God from a place of desperation and saying, you know, like you're having your little Jacob moment and saying, God, I'm not going to stop praying until every member of my family is saved. God, I'm not going to stop praying until every broken relationship, relationship within my husband and myself, that's restored. God, I'm not going to stop praying until you press into God, you press through to him, and you allow him to bring the breakthrough. Because, friends, the power comes through pressing in through prayer. Charles, uh, Charles Finney, who's a great American revivalist, notes that the disciples, they consecrated themselves to prayer. And God showed up. See, in other words, the disciple pressed in. They pressed through until something happened. They reached the breakthrough point in their prayers. And then God answered. How about you? Do you labor in your prayer life until there's breakthrough or is it simply just once God can you please and when God doesn't you just walk away and it's like well God doesn't answer prayer friends we need to put the work in we need to press in press through anybody here praying for revival in Airdrie anybody yeah just a few of you guys I mean the nine o'clock they, they wanted revival in Airdrie but that's, that's all good We'll work with you guys. But look, we're praying. If you want to see revival come, because I do, we need to put the work in to start praying. It's just down the street, revival. I'm telling you, it's a block and a half away. We're on the doorsteps. But it's going to take every man and woman and child in this place praying, God, we're not going to let go until every man, woman, and child in Airdrie knows your name. Every man, woman, and child in Airdrie professes faith in you. Every man, woman, and child in Airdrie is walking in step with your spirit. Friends, revival's coming. But we have to be praying it in. Because prayer, friends, it is essential for revival because we need the power of God to break the strongholds that hold revival back. So who, who wants to see revival in Airdrie? That's right. Let's do this. Let's bring it. A father was watching his young son trying to dislodge a heavy stone, but the boy couldn't budge it. And that, the dad's like, dude, yo, are you, are you using all your strength? And the kid's like, well, of course I am. And the dad said, no, you're not. Because you haven't asked me yet. See, and that's what God is saying to us. You want to see a breakthrough in your marriage? You want to see a breakthrough in your family? You want to see a revival in Airdrie? You want to see a breakthrough in your friendships? But have you asked them? Have you come to them and said, Lord, I want my friends saved. I want my family members here. I want Airdrie to be like a Christian city where every person in this places professing faith in you. Elijah, he put some personal effort in his prayers, and we need to do the same. See, it took courage for him to go to the king. It could have cost him his life. It was hard work to build an altar, prepare the sacrifice of Mount Carmel. It was exhausting, you know, to, to kill all those prophets of Baal. But he didn't just sit back in luxury and wait for the prayers to God answered. No, he got involved in the answer. The thing he did was he prayed according to God's will. Because when we do that, prayer realizes God's will. It doesn't correct his will, but rather it fulfills his will. In chapter 4 of the book of James, he makes this comment about prayer. 
And James says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So in other words, we need to check our motives when we pray. And in contrast to that, the Apostle John, um, he talks about what it's like to pray according to God's will. In 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15, he says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have and we've asked of him. Elijah understood that communicating with God was for the purposes of knowing him, seeking him, seeking his heart, and doing his will. But that communication, it flowed out of a relationship. And not just any relationship, but an intimate one. A relationship in which Elijah understood his identity. A relationship in which Elijah was intimately connected and communicating with God. And from that that intimacy from that identity because he said, the Lord God whom I serve. So he understood where he stood with God. From that intimacy, from that identity, flew a great amount of authority. Authority enough to say it's not going to rain. And for three and a half years, it didn't rain. Authority enough to call fire from heaven and consume all the prophets of Baal and all their idols. But friends, that kind of authority only comes from an intimate relationship with the Father. That kind of authority only comes when you understand your identity as a child of God. Who wants that? You guys want that this morning? When, um, when I was dancing, I was dancing with a YWAM, a team called GX International, and uh, we were stationed in, uh, station sounds terrible, but our team home was in Belton, Belton, Missouri. Uh, it's just a little town, about 20,000, 30,000, uh, just outside of Kansas City, Missouri itself. Um, and we were getting ready for about a three, four month tour throughout the US. And one of the states that we were gonna go uh, and do our thing in is New Mexico. And at the time, what we were told about New Mexico was New Mexico was the, one of the most spiritually dead states in the entire US. And we're like, yay, we get to go there. Um, but that's okay. So, you know, we'd spend our mornings learning our dances and our skaters and, and bikers would do their thing. But the dancers, like, we'd spend a morning learning our, our, um, our dances. And by dinner time, we'd go back to the house, we'd have dinner. And about, uh, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock, we'd all head over to IHOP. Not the IHOP you're thinking. Um, it, you know, it's not International House of Pancakes, but rather International House of Prayer. And this place in Kansas City, it's devoted to one thing and one thing only, prayer. It's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week for prayer. And we went, and you know, you can go into rooms. Some of us went to rooms, just sat silently before God. Some of us prayed in another room. Some of us just sat in a room and just listening to the worship music that was praying. But we were all there with one purpose and one purpose only. God, we want to see your kingdom come in New Mexico. God, we want to see men, women, children saved for you and you alone. We prayed that. Every day. We were there every day for a month until we went on our tour. And I'll tell you, when we went to Mexico, God was already there. He showed up. And we saw thousands of kids, boys, girls, women, men, youth, young adults, thousands give their life to Christ. Thousands decided, you know what, I'm no longer going to live this way. I'm going to live the righteous way. But friends, it had nothing to do with our dances. It had nothing to do with what our skaters were doing. But it had everything to do with God already decided he was going to do. And he just said, GX International, I want you guys to partner with me in what I'm about to do in New Mexico. Mike Bickle, um, he's the founder. He founded International House of Prayer. 
He said this, At one time I thought that being anointed in ministry would keep a person's heart encouraged in God. Now I've learned that this is simply not true. A deeply satisfied soul, a personal sense of meaning and significance, a rich treasure store of divine pleasure can only come through the intimate knowledge of God himself. Friends, we need to know him, to know his will, to know his heart. Because when we pray... Okay, prayers, it's about partnership with God. It's partnering with God to bring about his will on earth. And let's be honest, God could execute his will without us. But he's simply chosen not to do that. He's chosen to let us participate in what he's doing. So how did he accomplish his will in Israel's story, you know, with, with Elijah? The first was when he was ready to bring about discipline on, his, on the nation through drought, he involved Elijah in the process. You know, he inspired and answered Elijah's prayer that it would not rain. He not only had Elijah pray that, but he also had Elijah go and tell the king it wasn't going to rain. And back in 1 Kings 18, uh, verse 1, when God was ready to end the drought, he didn't just end it. Instead, he spoke to Elijah and worked his will through Elijah. He sent Elijah to the king again to pronounce God's intentions. He used Elijah to lead Israel into repentance as a preparation for lifting the judgment and the outpouring of his blessing. And then he had Elijah pray into the rain. Pray in the rain. So look, don't miss the point. A lot of things happen between uh, verse 1 in chapter 18 of 1 Kings and the last chapter. God was capable of bringing the rain without Elijah. He was. But he chose not to do it in that way. And, and could I suggest that this is usually the case? Why? Well, you know, we pray because prayer is partnership with God in bringing his will to pass on earth. God knew what he was going to do in Israel. He knew what he was going to do. But he partnered, he had Elijah partner with him in bringing his will to pass. And that's why Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in Airdrie. Yo, yeah, get it? In Airdrie? You guys, you got that? It's okay. In prayer, we position ourselves to cooperate with the will of God on earth as in heaven. Because prayer is not about changing God's will. It's about executing it. But it's also about living in relationship with God. Elijah knew the will of God because he was in communion with God. This conversation was two ways. God spoke, then Elijah spoke. A lot of times in our prayers, we just come and we dump on God. And you know what? Sometimes there's a place for that. But I want to encourage you Come, dump on him, but just wait a while. Wait a minute or two, three, four, 15 to allow God to speak to you because he will give you direction. He will give you insights to whatever you're coming to bring to him. God involves us in executing his will on earth because he wants to be in relationship with us. He wants to share his joy. He wants to share his kingdom with us. All right, let's bring this home. So come back with me to the text in James 5. 5 verse 16, it says, Pray for one another so that you may be healed. A few years ago, um, I would have read this text and I would have said, Wow, that's awesome. That was for the people back then. I didn't understand that that was a word for us today. It wasn't until uh, my very first Holy Spirit encounter in, in, in Canmore, Camrose, Canmore, one of the cans anyways, um, that I was there. <laughs> And I understood 
sitting under, you know, sitting under the teaching of Doug and Terry, I begin to understand. No, when James says, pray for one another so that you may be healed, that wasn't just a word for, you know, 2,000 years ago. That's a word for us today. And, you know, I, um, the other guys, and, and honestly, they're way further down the road than I am on this, but, um, like, the other guys, you know, they would pray for, for people to get healed, and they'd be, they'd be healing, and I'd be watching them like, Lord, why not me? When's it going to be my turn? And so the Lord had to do a work in me because for a while I was just pursuing the manifestation. I wasn't pursuing God. And so I came, you know, we did a Holy Spirit encounter in October. And I just came, I'm like, Lord, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I just want you and more of you. And so whatever you want to do, just do it. And uh, we got to the group. We had a group of a bunch of us. And um, there's this young lady in our group and she had pain in her hip. And so we, you know, we laid hands on her, and by we, I mean only the girls laid hands on her hip because her husband's a cop and he could shoot us, so you, you don't want that. But no, so, you know, we had the, the ladies lay hand on this young lady's hip, and we prayed, Lord, bring about healing. One time, pain went down from like a 10 to an 8. We prayed again, Lord, do your thing. And again, the pain went down a third time we prayed, and a fourth time we prayed, and she was healed. But friends... It only came about because we pressed in. It only came about because we pressed through and we allowed God to do what only God can do. Our job was simply to pray and let God do the rest. Look, are you aware that um, when the Israelites, when they crossed the Red Sea after years of slavery in Egypt, one of the first ways God revealed himself to his people was as the Lord who heals See, we read in Exodus 15, 26, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on any of you the diseases I brought in the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. You see, God revealed himself as Yahweh, Jehovah Rapha, which means the Lord who heals. God's very nature is healing and God wants to provide healing and wholesome to all his people. So when James says to his people, pray for each other so that you may be healed, he's reminding them of, you know, what God is and who God is. He's reminding them of what God wants to do through his people. You see, he desires to mend our broken bodies, to fix our wounded hearts, to restore our broken relationships, to forgive our sins. God wants to us, friends. Like he wants us to be a community of praying people. Because we don't just pray as a religious exercise. We pray that we may enjoy wholeness of spirit, body, and soul. We pray in cooperation with God and with one another. Because there's nothing more unifying than prayer. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Like I wonder if we understand the fullness, the full significance of that. If I had another half hour, I'd just keep preaching. And so, see, what James wants his congregation to understand is this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, and he encourages them with this. Elijah was a dude just like you and me. He had his good days. He had his bad days. But his desire, his pursuit after God was relentless. He went after him until he, like, he understood who he was before God. The God of Israel whom I serve. And his identity was secure. So he, what we're wanting, what God is wanting from us is a heart, a desire that goes after him. 
And when we do this, when we pray out of the desire, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, God will answer your prayers. It's because God desires a praying people, a people who will pray in union with Christ who intercedes from heaven. And God shapes the world through prayer because when God's prayer is a house of prayer, then God is busy with interventions of the affairs of earth. Friends, the more praying we do, the better equipped we will be against the forces of evil everywhere. God has declared that his house will be a house of prayer. Because when we pray, we unlock divine power. Because when we pray, we develop our relationship with God. Because when we pray, we receive answers to our questions and miracles will happen. Because when we pray, it impacts us. It changes you. It changes me. Friends, God, he calls us to pray. He invites us to pray. He commands us to pray. He begs us to pray. He exhorts us to seek his face every day. You and I, we've been given unlimited access to the throne room of heaven. He's sitting up there waiting, waiting for you, waiting to hear from you. What is it that you need breakthrough in today? Is it your marriage, your work relationship, family? Whatever it is that you are needing that breakthrough in today, God is just waiting to hear from you. He's just saying, look, I'm here, son, daughter, come to me because I can bring about the breakthrough, but I just need you to reach out. So if that's you today, God is just saying, press in, press through. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for you. Thank you for your presence with us this morning, Lord. Father, for the one or two individuals who this message needed to be heard today, Father, I pray now that your spirit would just work in their lives, work in their hearts. Allow each and every one of us in this place, Father, to develop a deeper relationship with you by which we understand our identities as children of the Father, by which we develop a deeper intimacy with you, and by which we work some great authority. And so, Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters in here today that they may know you and the power of your resurrection, that they would be so united with you as you and Christ are one. So Lord, we, we give you all that we have today, and we say not by our might, but by yours. Your will be done, that all of Airdrie would come to know your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you guys are leaving this morning, you're going to be given an invitation for Easter. And the invitation is not for you. It's for you to give to a friend, to give to a neighbor, to give to a co-worker. Because right now we're praying that every seat that will be filled in this place, when Pastor Sandy is speaking, every person will receive that breakthrough the Lord has for them. Revival, friends, it's a block and a half away. Who's going to join with us in bringing it in, in praying it in, that Airdrie would come to know every soul, every person in Airdrie would come to know the name of our Lord.
Pray that in today, friends. God is a God of breakthrough.